Praise the Lord, Church of Omaha. Let's clap our hands to the Lord all over this place. Hallelujah! Praise God. You, if you'll stand with me all over this place, um, this, this, everybody's there. All the men in the room say this Saturday. We have a work day, a men's work day from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. If you are going to make it to that, please let me know so we can account for you and hold you accountable to be there. Amen. We've got a lot of things for us to do that Saturday. We'll get in and, and get out and get it all finished in Jesus' name. Um, if you are a child in the room and you're supposed to be in play practice right now, please leave at this very time. <laughs> Jesus' name. Now, let's, now that you're all standing, why don't we go before the Lord in prayer for the remainder of the service tonight. I'm so thankful to be in the house with you all. I'm so thankful for these midweek services and how we can come together and be strengthened and empowered, hear the word of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for being the author and the finisher of our faith, O oh God. I thank you that we can praise you, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth freely. And as much as we want to, Lord Jesus, as we lift our hands to you, Lord, you hear our prayers. You hear the words that we praise to you. You hear the words that we say to you, Lord Jesus, exalting you in our lives, O oh God. Lord, bless us as we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, let's worship the Lord together. Amen.
Nobody like Jesus, amen? Nobody like Jesus, hallelujah. Besides all that you came to praise the Lord for, I want to tell you on Monday, my day started really well when somebody came through the door and said, can I get baptized today? I'm like, yes, you can. Hallelujah. That was Sister Jerusha. She's working tonight, but you'll see her Sunday. We're so excited for what God's doing in her life. Amen. And the best is yet to come. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated in the name of Jesus. I want to go ahead and um, dismiss our youth. I'm assuming our youth are going. Yep. So young people, tonight, TCO Student Ministries, God bless you in Jesus' name. And to everyone else, uh, welcome and thank you for being here. All of you tuning in online, thank you for watching online and being a part of our service. Amen. We greet you. Good to see some very special guests slash family tonight. Sean, Cody, and his family. So glad you all are here. Love you guys. Amen. We knew them from Maine, and then they moved here, and then they've moved back, but they're here visiting family and uh, spending some time, so you'll see them uh, possibly some more while they're here. And glad that they're here and their family tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. God is so good, isn't he? Hallelujah. Great to have mom and dad. I don't remember y'all's names, but I know you're with Jessica there. So God bless you all. So glad you all are here and we love you all and, and Matt and Jessica. Amen. So isn't the Lord wonderful? Hallelujah. He's great. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to join me in the book of Mark chapter 13. And uh, I'm going to begin Reading at verse 33, just read just a portion here as we uh, lay the foundation for 
tonight's message. I do ask you in a moment when we pray over the word that you would also pray for me and uh, Kennedy. He's going to be going with me tomorrow. I'll be traveling to Texas uh, for the memorial service for my dad. And uh, appreciate all your thoughts and prayers, all the kind words that all of you have said, and thank you so much. Mark chapter 13, verse 33. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man, taking a far journey, who left his house, and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore. For you know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. And that last, those last five words is what I want to use for my title tonight. I say unto all, watch. Let's pray together. Father... Let the living word preach the written word. Make my tongue the pen of a ready writer in the next few moments tonight. Write your word upon our hearts that we might obey it, understand it, apply it, and live by it, Lord Jesus. Let us have comprehension of the scripture, revealing your truth to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And would everyone say amen? amen. Praise God. In our text, I often will look at other translations at times to grasp sometimes a, a, a broader meaning or understanding. And in our text, in Mark chapter 13, I want to read those same verses, but this time from the Amplified Bible. Verse 33 says, Be on your guard, constantly alert, and watch and pray, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man already going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his particular task, and he gives orders to the doorkeeper to be constantly alert and on the watch. Therefore, watch, give strict attention, and be cautious and alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. Watch, I say, lest he come suddenly and unexpectedly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to everybody, watch, give strict attention, be cautious, active, and alert. And of course, those of you familiar with the Amplified, it, it does what you just noticed. It, it adds to it, it, it strengthens what these verses and all mean. So as we unpack this chapter tonight in our Bible study, I, I ask that you remember these verses, but most importantly and specifically the final one, verse 37, and what I say unto you all, I say unto all, watch. It is from this verse that I have extrapolated my title for tonight and desire to speak to you what God has spoke to me. We must be on guard. We must be constantly alert. We must watch and pray. Amen. It's not pray alone or watch alone. It's watch and pray. We must give strict attention to such things, to be active and alert and to be cautious. I remember one time a preacher said that don't worry about the coming of the Lord's scriptures. Don't worry about whether it's pre-trib, post-trib and all that. Just preach Jesus and it'll, it'll all work out. Well, the Bible would differ with that. 
if we're to give strict attention to, if we are to uh, be cautious, active, and alert, I would say that's pretty important, meaning we better make sure we know what it says, understand what it means, and be ready. Among the many things that were prophesied at the general conference last week that my wife and I and Pastor Trevor was there attending and, and others, one of them was that prayer and fasting would increase exponentially all over the apostolic movement in the coming year. When the preacher said that, Brother Josh Herring, who was the last night speaker, it, it resonated within my spirit because already uh, the leadership team is working on the 2022 calendar. It will be finalized soon. And there's already multiple times set apart for scheduled and dedicated times of prayer and fasting at our church. It was a confirmation of what I heard. Amen. Watch and pray. And, and I believe fasting is a part of that. Can I tell you tonight plainly that this is not a time to lose hope or to lose sight of the eternal weight of glory. This is not a time to exchange the temporal for the eternal. This is a time to pray more. Fast more, give more, reach more, do more, and advance the kingdom of God in our community, amen, and our entire world, praise God. This is a time to read and study your Bible like never before. This is a time to forgive others, cleansing our hearts of all roots of bitterness, amen. This is a time to make your calling and election sure, diligently adding to your faith virtue and so on and so forth to increase and abound in the fruit of the Spirit. This is a time to praise God and worship Him more deeply and more intensely. This is a time to share your testimony with as many as possible, being bold as you walk in the anointing of Almighty God. This this is a time to watch, to be on guard, to be constantly alert, to, to pray and to fast. Amen. This is a time to give strict attention to and be cautious and active in living for God. Praise the Lord. This is a time to walk in the Spirit, to walk in truth, to walk in love, to walk humbly. Amen. This is a time to develop and bear the fruit of the Spirit. This is a time to operate daily and liberally in the gifts of the Spirit. This is a time to be apostolic to the core of our being. Amen. This is a time to declare like Peter, this is that, and believe it with all of our hearts. Hallelujah. This is a time not for enticing words of man's wisdom, but rather a demonstration of the Spirit and power of God every time we gather, whether it's a prayer meeting, whether it's a Bible study, or whether it's Sunday worship or some special service. Hallelujah. This is a time to be holy because Jesus is holy. This is a time to be ambassadors for Christ that we are called to be and reconciled to be. This is a time to be the royal priesthood, amen, taking dominion in our lives and in our homes, our communities, and our world. This is a time for semesters to rise up, realizing you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time 
as this. This is a time for some Daniels to purpose in your heart not to defile yourself. This is a time for some Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegoes to refuse to bend their knees to the idols of this world. This is a time for some Annas to commit themselves to the service of God for the rest of their lives. This is a time for some Zacharias and some Elizabeths to be blameless in their worship of the one true God. This is a time for the people of God to rise up, to walk in victory and take a dominion and authority over all the power of the enemy. This is a time to deny ourselves, take up our crosses daily and follow Jesus faithfully to the end. This is a time to watch. And everything I just said in the last few minutes about this being a time to do is what it means to watch. What I say to you all, what I say unto you, Jesus said, I say unto all, watch. As this chapter opens, as the account of this event begins to unfold, four disciples come to Jesus. We know in verse 3, it's Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and ask him privately, saying, verse 4, tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus began, excuse me, and Jesus answering them began to say, take heed, lest any man deceive you. I find it so interesting that the very first thing Jesus mentions is deception. He will mention and allude to deception time and again throughout this text and also Matthew 24, which parallels it, and Luke 21. We know from many other passages throughout Scripture, we are warned about deception. Jesus goes on in verse 5, or excuse me, verse 6. He says, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And we shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Be not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. I want to just pause there and focus on that for a minute because so often we have a confusion about the time of the end or the end times. We, we confuse the last days with the end times. And I, I see them as a separate uh, thing altogether. The last days began with the preaching of Peter in Acts chapter 2 when he quotes Joel's prophecy and says, this is that present tense which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that in the last days. In other words, Joel had prophesied in the last days something was going to happen, and Peter said it started now because this is that. We know also from John's epistle and from the book of Hebrews that this is the last hour or the last time. And so the last days have been going on for quite some time. The reason I also emphasize this is just because a war breaks out, just because one nation attacks another, does not necessarily mean the coming of the Lord is getting any closer. We need to be careful not to sensationalize and have what I call newspaper exegesis. Oh, the headline said, you know, China bombed Taiwan. Oh, Jesus must be coming. Not necessarily because in his own words, he said, see that you be not troubled. For all these things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. 
Verse 8, for nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in divers places, and there shall be famines and troubles. There shall be, or excuse me, these are the beginning of sorrows. I will admit that many of these things are increasing and escalating in nature and intensity. And certainly, we're closer to the coming of the Lord today than we were yesterday. I will also admit that. But Signs such as that in and of themselves are not necessarily signs of the end times. Okay? Because these have been happening since Jesus said it and will continue to happen. Okay? Until he comes. Verse 9, but take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony against them. By the way, although this did happen to those disciples and apostles listening, it's still happening in the world today where people are being persecuted for their faith. Verse 10, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. That's a clue to what the final sign of the last days will be so remember verse 10 hold that thought verse 11 but when they shall lead you and deliver you up take no thought beforehand what you shall speak neither do ye premeditate for whatsoever shall be given you in that hour that speak ye for it is not you that speak but the holy ghost now brothers shall betray their brother to death and the father the son the children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake but the but He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Now, in Matthew's account of this, uh, he mentions at verse 14, Matthew 24, 14, that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, then shall the end come. That parallels Mark 13, verse 10, of the gospel being first published among all nations. It's twofold. The first element of that prophecy is that all people will hear the gospel, meaning not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Okay? So he's talking to exclusively to Jews right here, okay? Does that make sense? The the apostles were all Jews by ethnicity. He's talking to them. They're going to receive the gospel first. The the salvation first came to the Jews, okay? But it eventually then spread to Judea, which is basically the metro, if you will, of Jerusalem. Then it spread to Samaria, which is half Jews. And in Samaria, we have the Ethiopian eunuch who's baptized in Jesus' name. And then it spreads to the whole world when Cornelius uh, gets the Holy Ghost and, and is baptized in his whole household. And then it just went like wildfire everywhere. So that's part of what it means, that all nations will hear the message, meaning all peoples. But it also indicates, as according to what we understand from Matthew's gospel in comparison, is that it will be preached in all nations. Okay? Does that make sense? That, in my understanding and study, will be the tipping point from what takes us from the last days into the end times. Because in both Mark's gospel and in Matthew's, the next thing is the abomination of desolation. In Luke's gospel, he jumps more to the end of the, uh, the tribulation period and the armies have sounded, surrounded Jerusalem, which is Armageddon. But... but Both of these, after the gospel is published and preached everywhere, and everybody gets a chance to hear it, then all of a sudden we're in the end times. So, somebody in your mind just say, well, how close are we to that happening? That's a great question. I believe right now we are at that 
tipping point almost of the gospel being preached everywhere simply because of the technology that's available today. Through internet, through uh, social media, through other means and methods, the gospel is being published everywhere. There are missionaries testifying of finding people even uh, in, in remote areas where technology has not yet reached, to where they have somehow found the gospel. There are testimonies of missionaries who people have found Bibles and, and in, in nations where Bibles are confiscated, where, where Christians are persecuted and killed. And they have found Bibles and they have prayed and said, God, what do we do? And God tells them, you know, go read John. And they read John. They realize they must be born again. And God tells them they must be baptized in Jesus' name. And they begin to talk to him. And they've been baptized in Jesus' name. And they've been filled with the Holy Ghost. So I believe we are at that place where every nation, every continent, every ethnicity is hearing the gospel. Which means, I believe we're that close to the end times beginning. Watch, I say unto you all, watch. You see, the questions that Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked Jesus are the questions that the whole world, and more so and more importantly, the church wants to know. Help us, Lord. The seven things that are highlighted in this passage are deception, wars and disunity, Earthquakes, famine, and other troubles, persecution, the spreading of the gospel globally, betrayal of family and friends, and faithful endurance to the end. And all of those are seen as happening right now in the last days. Now let's take a look at Mark 13, verse 14. And again, this would be also paralleled by Matthew 24, verse 15. And when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, and let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains, and let him that is on the housetop not go down to the house, neither enter in therein, to take anything out of his house, and let him that is in the field not turn back again, for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child, and them that give suck in those days, and pray ye that your flight be not in winter. For in those days shall be affliction, such as was from the beginning of the creation which God created. Unto this time neither shall be it, except that the Lord had shortened those days. No flesh shall be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. I want you to pay close attention to that. God's already shortened the days of the tribulation. Okay? So therefore, the elect won't be deceived, is what he's saying. If any man shall say to you, lo, here is Christ, lo, here, there he is, excuse me, Lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall arise. Remember, I told you, deception will be mentioned again and again. And shall so show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, though we know it's not, even the elect. But take ye heed. The reason we know it's not is because we're going to take heed. We're going to watch. And behold, I've told you all things. Let me just pause right here and say this regarding deception. This is why... We should never seek signs or wonders. The Bible states plainly that these signs shall follow them that believe. Not believers shall seek after or follow signs. Does that make sense? So don't be duped by signs. Don't be duped by wonders. 
We know from the account of Egypt that the two uh, men that Timothy seems to call Jannes and Jambres, but the two that oppose Moses could replicate some of the signs, okay, which further hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, if my magicians can do it, you know, their God is just like one of our hundreds of gods, okay? Little did he know he was taking on the one true God. And Pharaoh himself, by the way, according to Egypt, is, is a God unto himself, and Egyptians believe he is the manifestation of God in flesh. So he himself is a God, but obviously he could not stop the one true God, which, by the way, will be the same thing in the end times. So the abomination of desolation will mark the beginning of the end times or tribulation, which we know from Scripture will be a period of 42 months. I'll come to that in just a minute. We know this because when Satan is cast out of heaven, he comes to the earth having great wrath, uh, which is Revelation 12, verse 9. The Bible says, knowing that he hath but a short time. That to me is encouraging because he knows, uh-oh, my time's limited already. He's going to be given authority, but he's on a leash. Does that make sense? And besides, the Bible says our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And since we're dead to sins, we're dead already. And since Jesus said to us that, that you know, don't fear him who can, you know, take, you know, hurt the body, but him who can harm the body and the soul, what, what can he do? Oh, you can kill me and get me there faster? Okay, great. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I don't have a martyr complex or, a, or a, you know, a death wish, but the fact is his authority will be limited. The Bible also says that his authority is only for 42 months. So I have a question for you to, to consider. Tonight I'm not going to get into the length of the tribulation. There are some that believe it's seven years, some that believe less. I'm one that believes less. So if it is seven years, I have, a, I have a question for you to consider. If it is seven years, why then does the Antichrist only have authority for half of it? You know, the first half he must be a lame duck or something. I don't know. Um, I'm, you know, we'll argue about whether or not it's seven later. Uh, I've got more to preach, so let's stay with that. How about that? The abomination of desolation will involve the Antichrist setting up some sort of image. Okay? Notice how Mark worded it. He said, standing where it ought not. Okay? When you read Daniel 11 and 12, which both mention the abomination of desolation, it indicates something was set up. Something was erected. Okay? We know from Revelation 13, 14, 15, 16, 19, and 20 that the Antichrist will have an image that will be portrayed for the world to see, for the people to worship. And again, part of that will be to take the mark. And that everyone, regardless of their faith, will have to worship the Antichrist. We know this from 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4. Because he will, he will claim to be God of everything. Not just the God of the Jews and the God of the Christians, but, but he's greater than all gods. And if you don't believe that, you risk being killed. Those who do, do worship the image of the beast, according to these passages, will also take his mark, and by doing so, will eternally damn their souls to the lake of fire. Now, I don't know what this image will be. I don't know if it'll be a statue. I don't know if it'll be something projected on a screen. Uh, I do believe it will involve some form of technology that the whole world can see it. 
Because the Bible indicates that the world will wander after the beast. And of course, uh, we have seen in some nations where uh, those that control the media can certainly put out what they want. And so it is plausible, at least, that something like that could happen. I don't know if it's going to be in a Jewish rebuilt temple. I don't know if it's going to be at the Dome of the Rock. I don't know if it's going to be at the UN, you know, or whatever. All I know is he's going to go somewhere to a temple and declare he is God, okay? These verses in Mark 13 illustrate, after this event, illustrate how difficult the tribulation is going to be. It is going to be so difficult that those that are right there at the epicenter, which will be Jerusalem will be told to flee Judea and Jerusalem as fastly as they can. If they're on the mount, if they're on the housetop, don't come down to get anything. Just get, leave, you know. Um, get out as fast as possible. Um, this could indicate, and I believe it does, that the main focal point of the, of the persecution will be in Israel. That doesn't mean it won't happen worldwide, but the epicenter will be in Israel. And we know this from a a plethora of other scriptures as well. The Valley of Megiddo is in Israel, Armageddon. Um, we know that Jesus Christ will put his foot on the Mount of Olives. That's in Jerusalem. So we know that that will be the epicenter based on other uh, scriptures as well. And of course, to flee Judea, there's only one Judea, and that's in Israel. That doesn't mean it won't happen elsewhere. It just means that's going to be the epicenter. We also know that the beast will cause both great and small, this is according to Revelation 13, 16, to take his mark and worship the beast. So therefore, Mark 13, 14 cannot be exclusive to the Jews only. Therefore, when he gets to verse 37 and says, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. That's us here today in 2021. It wasn't exclusive just for them. Okay? If so, then we can rip this chapter out of our Bible. We don't need it. And every one of us knows that that's not the case. Verses 19 through 20 reveal that there has never been such a period of time. Nor shall there ever be again. It will be the Holocaust, the Spanish Inquisition, and many other wars of genocide combined and multiplied on a grand scale. In verse 20, we know that God has already shortened the days, and we know that Satan's limited authority is only for 42 months. He will have authority, but he will be on a short leash. And verses 21 through 23 instruct God's elect, which is the church, his chosen, those who are his treasured possession, to beware of deception, to love the truth, and endure to the end. The end can either be their death or his coming. But whichever it is, endure to that end and be faithful. Now, in verse 24, back in Mark, if you've got your Bibles open, following along. Mark 13, verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. By the way, Joel prophesied this too, as did a a number of other Old Testament prophets. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect 
from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. We could say the same thing about right now. When you see the leaves falling, we know fall, that that winter is coming, the the wind is picking up, the, the chillier air, right? Same kind of thing. So ye in like manner, when you shall see these things come to pass, what things? The sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, when you see these things, not wars and rumors of wars, not kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, not all that other stuff that we've already When you see these signs, the ones he's dealing with now, that's why I say there's a difference between the last days and the end times, okay? When you see these signs, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Verily, verily, I say to you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. The generation, the people that are there who see those signs are the ones that it shall be fulfilled in and it shall come to pass. It, it wasn't meaning that the apostles hearing this, because if that were the case, they'd still be alive today and be about 2,000 years old. Paul would still be, pre- or not Paul, but uh, Peter would still be preaching. John would still be preaching. They wouldn't have been martyred and died in the faith. They'd still be preaching today, starting churches. So we know it wasn't them. And we know God can't lie. And we know scripture can't be broken. Therefore, we know what he's saying is the generation that's alive at that time that sees those signs, that's the generation that'll see this come to pass and it'll be fulfilled in their time. Make sense? All right. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So just just another solidification that I won't lie. What I say is true. I'm coming again. Other things will fail, but not me. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. I'd like to interject something here. Because of the previous uh, passage about the, uh, uh, the fig leaves and summer and all that, I agree wholeheartedly we won't know the day nor hour, but we will know the season. And the other reason I believe that is because in 2 Thessalonians, it says that even though he's coming as a thief upon the world, we, the elect, are not in darkness that that day should overtake us. While other people will be deceived and freaked out and say, why is the sun not shining in the middle of the day? And why is the moon not giving its light? And why is the moon turning to blood? Why are stars falling out of the sky? Why are mountains melting like wax? Why is all this happening? We'll be like, because Jesus is coming. We will know. There's, there's something you have to understand about this. There's going to be a simultaneous... I can almost see this in my mind play out if I were to draw it out and, and if I was an artist. Uh, you know, literally, there'll be some, the Bible says, who will cry for the rocks to fall upon them because they'll know the coming wrath of God is upon them. At the simultaneous same time, there's going to be others lifting up their heads, lifting up their hands, looking up for their redemption draws nigh. You're going to have one who is afraid and one who's ready. And that's what he's describing here. So, but of that day and hour knoweth no man know the angels of heaven, or which are in heaven, excuse me, neither the Son but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray. And I'm going to stop there because we've already read those uh, verses on in our opening text here tonight. So in these verses, we discover that immediately after the tribulation, that's 
also seen in Matthew 24, 29 through 31, there will be cataclysmic and catastrophic failures in the sky and on the earth. Other passages such as Luke 21, the Old Testament prophets and in Revelation indicate that mountains are going to melt like wax. Have you ever burned a candle and watched it melt? That's, he says the mountains will melt like wax at this fervent heat. Islands will float away out into the sea. Uh, some scholars believe that the effect that this is going to have upon uh, the earth with the supercells and the superstorms will produce tsunamis, tornadoes, hurricanes, dust storms, and so much more at the same time. This will not be, oh, there's a flood over here. Oh, there's a hurricane over there affecting a small portion of the population or world. It will be global as this is happening and the earth is reeling and shaking. Some scientists who are also Christians have said they believe that the poles will literally reverse and north will be south and south will be north. I don't know if that's accurate or not. I'm not a, a, a scientist of that uh, caliber or whatever I'm not a scientist at all but the point I know is this according to scripture it's going to be cataclysmic for the world because Jesus is coming to both rapture the righteous and reward them while he pours out his wrath upon the wicked the church throughout the tribulation and in this will be protected supernaturally by God during the end times we will suffer the persecution of the beast and his system, much like our first century Christians suffered persecution and much like those today are being persecuted. Let me just interject here and say, it's a false doctrine that teaches that you won't have to suffer. I know that ain't going to get you to go up and run the aisles and clap your hands and say, amen, preach it, because nobody wants to hear it. Sister Alicia, we want to hear, woohoo! Man, there's going to be good things and blessings and all this. But can I tell you, there is blessing within suffering. If you take away the suffering of Joseph in the pit, you'll never see him in the palace. If you take away the suffering of Jesus, you'll never have redemption and forgiveness. Amen. And so... It is through tribulation, the Bible says, that we enter the kingdom of God. This is why we need to take heed to watch and pray. For you know not when the time is. Let me, let me say that, again, with God protecting us, we have plenty of, of, of places throughout Scripture that indicate this. Uh, the first, I would say, is Noah. We know Noah is compared. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Noah was in the ark. The floodwaters came and lifted him up off of the earth. So the, the same floodwaters that destroyed the wicked raised him up to protect him. Okay? We see it with Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. By the way, this was a 42-month drought, three and a half years. Same time that frame that the Antichrist will have authority for. And watch what happens with Elijah. He is by the brook, and he's being... Uh, he can take the water, and ravens are bringing him food. Somebody say unnatural. I've never known an animal to bring a human food. That's pretty cool, though. So God may, may have something like that happen for it. I don't know. Naturally, somebody say naturally. That's the water in the brook. And then supernaturally, when the brook dried up, he goes to the widow of Zarephath. 
He sees her gathering up some sticks. She's going to go make a final meal. Her and her son are going to eat it. They have enough for one more. And then after that, they're going to starve to death. The prophet says, make me one first. He said, man, that was rude. That was inconsiderate. He didn't think about that family. No, he had a word from God. And I love her. She didn't question it. If she did, the scripture doesn't record it. She just said, okay. He eats and enjoys. And you can imagine mom and that boy are salivating going, oh, no, we're going to die. And he gets all done and goes, mm, that was good. Whew. By the way, you'll be blessed the rest of the famine. She goes back into her kitchen. Hey, we got some food in here. She pulls it out. She makes a meal, empties out the, the cruise of oil, empties out the cruise of meal, puts it back in. It's empty. I wonder what's going to happen for breakfast. <laughs> Well, what do you know? <laughs> There's some more. I'm going to keep putting that empty in there. <laughs> and until the famine was done and she could once again work or, or harvest, it never... Mm. I told Brother Keith one night, I'm going to, once I see the abomination of desolation, I'm going to Omaha Prime. Brother Matt, you had one that night with us on that double day. I'm getting me a tomahawk ribeye. I'm getting me a baked potato and saving the peeling. And I'm putting it in the fridge every night, man. Let me tell you. <laughs> so all that to say, God's going to provide for us, I believe, naturally, unnaturally, and supernaturally. Why do I also believe that he'll do this? Well, we have the example of Goshen and, and Egypt, where through a period of God's wrath being poured out, they were protected. We know that... that no beast or cattle fell in Goshen. We know that, that, that if they had the blood on their door, death did not visit them. We know that when, when it was so thick that they could touch the darkness, that the Bible says, and, and they in Goshen had light in their dwelling. So we can see from these principles that, that they were protected miraculously and it and it, un, it excuse me not undermined it uh, it caused the Egyptians uh, uh, to be uh, emotionally it was like psychological warfare because because they they realized our gods are impotent our gods are, are inept they can't do anything to the point that they said just get out take everything take these carts take these animals take this gold and silver and silk and purple just get out So I believe God will likewise uh, protect us. We also know from the book of Revelation that in at least one that I can think of off the top of my head, when, when the seal is open where the locusts come up out of the earth for five months, the Bible specifically says they cannot touch those who are sealed by God. Now can you imagine if you're standing there and here comes this beastly looking demonic locust Bible says it has the hair of a woman, face of a man, strikes with its tail. And the guy standing next to you is an unbeliever who's taken the mark, and it attacks him and, and passes over you. I'm not trying to be weird, but that's kind of neat. <laughs> They'd be like, wow. I won't need a fly swatter. They'd be like, I'm sealed. Go find somebody else, you dumb locust. Hallelujah. All right, that's my fun for tonight. So the generation that sees all this, the abomination of desolation, 
up through the sun being dark and all that. The generation that sees the fulfillment of, if it's Matthew 24, it's about verse 15 on, or if it's Mark, it's about verse 14 on, that sees that. That'll be the generation upon which they'll also witness the coming of the Lord. The word watch in Mark 13, 37 means to take heed, lest through remission and indolence some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes one. In light of everything I've preached tonight, I come with the burden from the throne of God to warn you to watch. Fall in love with the truth. My wife and I have served in ministry long enough. We've pastored now two churches and been involved in a third in a, on a pastoral team. And it saddens my heart every time I have a memory of somebody who used to sometimes preach and, and sometimes be a saint who loved this truth who no longer does. During the, the early 2000s, 2000, that first decade of the 21st century, I watched nine personal and close friends who love the truth, who preach it. I would preach for them. They would preach for me, who, who we, you know, hung out together, who we wanted to see when we got to general conference together, all those kind of things, who no longer preach this truth. They've compromised it. They've watered it down. They, they, they might as well not even use a Bible and call themselves a church because it's so compromised. Fall in love with this truth and never fall away from it. Commit yourself to dying daily, being a living sacrifice. Jesus is coming. Watch. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 6 says. Therefore let us not sleep as do others. But let us watch and be sober. When we think of that word sober, we immediately think of, well, a non-alcoholic. And, and that does fit. But it's to be sober of mind. To have a clear mind. To know what you believe and hold fast to it. To have hidden the truth in your heart. Determining not to ever fall away from it. Don't be enamored or encumbered with the cares of this life. Take a good look all around you tonight at the, the things you know, that, that we see with our eyes, the building, the chairs, the carpet, the pulpit, the microphones. Look on Facebook. Look at all the stuff. Look at your car. Look at your house tonight, your apartment when you get home. All of that will be gone. But this endures forever. And John said, He that does the will of God, which we know is the Word of God, also abides Forever. The Bible talks about laying up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt. How many of you know that the market, you, you never know what the economy is going to do? Some of you have lived long enough to know that there's been recessions here and depressions there and different things that have caused one day it's this value and the next day it's that value. But can I tell you, this never devalues. I remember one time a preacher was angry because he had studied and prepared for a message and he didn't get his chance to preach because something broke out and he said that was just a waste of time and I rebuked him and I said, a waste of time? You mean studying the Word of God's a waste of time? Are you nuts? 
You don't know how many times I've come up here and have plenty of notes left. And I'm not saying it to brag. But when God begins to move, it's His church. And, and, and the time I spent studying and typing it is not wasted. Don't allow the division of the mainstream media to cause you to hate others. I don't know if you've seen, there's some preacher on Facebook going around, I'd like to get to know this guy. And he got up and he went through a tirade of it's, it's, you know, I'm tired of the black versus white and the green versus this and blah, 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 that and vax this and not vax that. And then he looked at the camera and he goes, shut up in the name of Jesus. I'm like, yeah, preach. Tired of division. Don't become enamored with it. Don't be so full of what the Facebook is saying or your favorite news agency is saying that you neglect what the word says. See it for what it is. It's a trick of the enemy to get the church divided and distracted. The enemy has weapons of mass distraction. If he can get us focused on 14 other things all around us, we're going to miss our purpose and our call to be here. In other words, don't be a survivalist. Be a revivalist. Don't be an activist. Be an evangelist. And this 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. If you know what Isaiah 35 says about the highway of holiness, it says that lions can't go there. They can't get on that highway. So can I tell you, it's a time to be holy and live holy and make sure you're walking in the middle of the highway of holiness. Satan's M.O. hasn't changed. He started with what I call the question mark of the beast. I've debated what the mark of the beast will be, and we can talk about that some other time, but, but I know what the question mark of the beast is. Has God said, are you really the Son of God? He hasn't changed. He uses the same tactic that he did on Eve with Jesus. I mean, what a moron. You're looking at the word personified and you're like, if you be the son of God. Well, what are you, a nut? You know what it tells me? He didn't really know. Hmm. I might go into praise team a little bit here tonight. Let me, let me explain real quick. I, I got to tell you this, why he didn't know. Okay? He wouldn't have, it wasn't just a question to, to get, trip Jesus up. There had been other false Christs come. We know this from the book of Acts because Gamaliel says, if this thing be of God, you can't stop it. And he refers to a couple of events that weren't of God and, and they fizzled out on their own. He says, and if it's like this, if this Jesus is like one of them, it'll fizzle out. I believe Satan tempted some of them. Oh, if you're who you say you are, how about some authority and power I can give you? Oh, yeah, I want some authority. I want power. Oh, you're not the son of God. But when Jesus went, it is written. Okay, i got to try this again. Okay, um, let me try this temptation. It is written. Hmm, let me try one more. Uh, get behind me, Satan. For it is written. He's like, uh-oh. The real deal has showed up. I think he realized, uh-oh. There's a 4,000-year-old prophecy that I'm going to get my head crushed. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, going to bruise 
his heel but crush Satan's head? Yeah. But his MO hasn't changed. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't be distracted. I say unto all, watch. Revelation 3, verses 2 and 3. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Jesus is speaking to the church of Sardis here. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent, if thou shalt not watch. Watch what will happen if you don't watch. I will come on thee as a thief. Thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. This is a prophecy that he's given to the Sardis church that if you decide not to watch, you're going to be like the five foolish virgins. Right church, right beliefs, no power. They didn't have oil. I go to church. I have a Bible. I said, praise the Lord. I dropped some money in the plate. I even spoke in tongues. But there's no oil in their lamps. And so he says, you'll be deceived and I'll come upon you as a thief. We know from 2 Thessalonians that those that he comes upon as a thief are those that have been sent a strong delusion because they did not receive. You preached a few weeks ago, Pastor Danny, they did not receive a love of the truth. Lord Jesus, help us. One more scripture and then I want you to stand with me. Revelation 16, 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Anytime you see ETH in the King James, it's the implication of walking. It's the ongoing process. It's not just, okay, I walk today and that's good enough. No, it's walking. It's keeping. Jesus is coming. I want to be clothed in his righteousness. I want to be watching and waiting. Can we stand together? Lord Jesus, if you, as you have delivered it to my heart, as you have burdened my spirit, so I have delivered your word tonight. I pray that everyone here in person and everyone watching online, and yea, Lord, those that will listen in the coming years to this in the archives, that you would compel us to watch and pray, to be ready to never be deceived, and to be ready to meet you when you come again. If we've died, let us, Lord, be looking forward to hearing that trumpet. And if we're still alive, let us also be looking forward to it. Let us watch and pray and be united for your cause and purpose in Jesus' name. And would everyone say amen. amen. God bless you. Greet and bless one another. I will be back in time for Sunday. So appreciate your prayers as I travel this next few days.